where we left off. God has created the, the heavens and the earth and populated the sky with sun, moon, and stars. He populates the air with birds, the seas with marine animals, land with vegetation, and earth with all kinds of creatures. Um, I like how the NASB translates uh, one of the words here. Uh, we, we have an ESV, we have swarming. In New American Standard, it says teeming. I think teeming is a very uh, visual word. Uh, when I was growing up in the country, uh, every rainy season we would have a, it would be like a, an underground river would kind of come to the surface. Uh, and then as the, as the rains would leave and things would start drying out, that river would slowly become, you know, big puddles and then little puddles and smaller and smaller till they were gone. And I remember going out uh, after things had really started to dry up a bit, there's these little puddles and they would be fulled filled to the brim with polywogs. Polywogs uh, that are in a race against time to, to develop into frogs before the puddle is gone, right? But you look in that puddle and you could see it's just wriggling with creatures. And I think that's, that's something of what we're seeing uh, with, with God's creation of, of, of all things, is that it is just packed to the gills with life. It is teeming with life. A veritable infestation of life. Um, and that's where we we are in the story. I'm gonna I'm gonna read the the portion that Josh is gonna uh, do a deep dive next week. So so think about that as we as we read this. The author continues. Then God said, "Let us make man in our image, after our likeness." And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, and everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. So I hope as we're reading uh, this, this story uh, about uh, the earth and, and how it came to be, that you get a sense of sort of crescendo happening as, uh, as basic things and as basic things like earth and sky are created and filled with uh, teeming with life, and as life is, seems to be getting more complex and more beautiful and more awesome. You have this, this sense that it's all coming to a head, right? And, and you think to yourself, man, six days, what's going to happen next? I mean, everything seems to get better and better and better. What's going to happen next? And it seems like almost with a sense of wry smile, Scripture says, nothing. After that, nothing. At least nothing much. Because at the end at this day, the seventh day, God 
pauses. So this is where this is our text, and so we're going to be looking at. Um, and on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. God rests. And in the process, he creates something, a rhythm of life for the rest of his creation. And I say creation because Sabbath is one of those things that was actually, it's, it's not just for humans. Sabbath is actually for uh, the entirety of God's creation. If you, we look at here, uh, this is a passage talking about the Sabbath. And you can see the Sabbath is for the land. Let's see. You, you can't see, but it's there. <laughs> um, there we go. Go one more. There you go. So the land gets a Sabbath, and the creatures get a Sabbath. Like all these things, and humans. So we, we tend to think of Sabbath as that's a, that's a thing that humans do. That's a part of uh, 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 the religious uh, understanding of, uh, from, from Jewish people. But actually, it's not something that humans do, just humans. It's something that the land does. It's something for uh, the creatures and for humans as a creature as well. So even God takes a Sabbath. And we have to ask ourselves why. Um, because we understand that God is limitless in his being and power, which means that the creation of the world in in no way taxed him, making him less or making him tired. So then if that is not the case, why does God rest on the Sabbath? I submit that there are two reasons God rested on the Sabbath um, in this in this um, text. One being <clears throat> that it is he intended this to be a model, a cycle uh, that he invites his creation into. We are created to be like God. And so it is right that we should imitate the creator. We do this whenever we make art or build great things or tend gardens These are the kinds of things that we see God doing. We also imitate the Creator when we rest, as He did here. We Sabbath out of obedience to the pattern of life that God has set out for us. And I think that we get really wonky uh, when we think about the Sabbath as just another thing on the to-do list. Modern Christians uh, have a bit of a problem when it comes to the Ten Commandments. They, they think the Ten Commandments are really the Nine Commandments and one pretty good idea, which is the Sabbath, that you should take that. Um, but if we're really serious about what God says about the Sabbath, I think that we'll, we'll see that our fears about what the Sabbath is uh, are unfounded and that it is a great gift that God is giving us. Um, some will say, uh, but 
that's kind of the point of Jesus' death on the cross, right? That he, he does away with all the, the rituals of righteousness. And, and, and there's some truth to that. There's some truth to that. But, but where that fails is Christ's death on the cross actually does not uh, destroy or remove rituals. And why, why, why do I say that? Because what we still, we still baptize people. We still take communion. Those are rituals, actually. We still marry. What actually what, what Christ does with his life, death, and resurrection on the cross is he fills those rituals with new meaning and new purpose. Um, baptism actually was a thing before Christians uh, started doing it. Uh, it, was, uh, it was something that was done in Jewish culture. Um, there's a whole system of, uh, of laws that if you were unclean, uh, baptism was the last thing that you did before you could re-enter uh, the community. So you, after you've, you've done what was necessary to become clean again, you would then be baptized and you would, uh, become cl- you would be clean and uh, able to enter into community with Jewish people. Um, the Christians took that. Jesus took that, and so that's actually an image for you uh, coming into the family of God. Um, the, um, the communion comes from uh, Passover, and Jesus says, yes, this, this, is, this, this whole Passover thing is not just about this one point in history where I rescued you from the mighty hand of the uh, Egyptians, but it is also specifically about what I'm going to do with my body and my blood for you. So Jesus takes something that is old, he fills it with new meaning. And it's something we still do today. Scripture takes the ritual of marriage, which is a very old thing. In fact, something that we're going to run into as we continue to read through um, Genesis. But he fills it with new meaning, saying this marriage is not just marriage, it's an image of what Christ is uh, in relationship to his body, uh, his bride, the church. So rituals are not destroyed by what, what God did through Jesus on the cross, but those rituals have been changed. They've been filled with new meaning, uh, as filled as the ways that God filled the skies and the seas and the land. And even so, uh, even as Jesus appears on the screen, uh, not the screen, the, uh, on the scene, you see him challenging the Pharisees about the Sabbath. But look very closely. He is not angry at the Pharisees because they're taking Sabbath. Instead, he's saying, you're doing Sabbath wrong. You have created a system of rules so heavy that it's all about following your rules, and you don't realize that the Sabbath is for people. The Sabbath is exactly the sort of day that someone should be freed from bondage, even bondage of sickness. The Sabbath is for our good, as we see in Mark. It's for our good. We are free to take the Sabbath. We ignore God's gift to us of the Sabbath to our, 
at our own peril. This is a pattern that God has created for us. And in some ways, it is a pattern that we have been created for, to live. The second reason I think that God rests is because it is right to rest after working. It is not just a good pattern that, uh, that God is setting out, saying every seventh day we should take our little rest, but there's something that God is saying about work, that it is right to rest after work. It is fitting. It is good. Look at what God has been doing on each, on each day as we, as we talk about his, he creates something, then he declares it is good. Creates light, the heavens, earth, birds, sea, creatures. And each time God does a work, he stands back like an artist looking at a, at a painting and says, it's good. And indeed, everything that God does is good. And so even though there's no statement after the seventh day that it was, that it was good that God rested, I submit to you that we know it was good because we know God's character. And even more so, as argument, God blesses it and calls it holy. So we know that it's good that he rested. Holy is an interesting word. I, if, I, if I can leave you with this. Um, when people talk about the word holy, what they, what they think about is being set apart. Like you might set a very precious vase on top of the piano so the children will not destroy it, even though they could very easily climb up and destroy it, and I'm sure that has happened in most people's houses. Uh, When they think of holy, it's set apart, set apart. But there's something a little bit wrong with that, with just that definition. In the Jewish marriage ceremony, there's there's a part where the husband and the wife declare to each other, you are holy to me. What does that mean about the, the meaning of the word holy? It's not just about being set apart. Things that are holy to God are not just things that are put aside so that they don't get messed up. Things that are holy to God are things that he is saying, you are mine. Like you actually belong to me. That is what makes you holy. Um, to understand holiness outside of a relationship is to lose some of that meaning. So God is saying to the, about the Sabbath that it is holy. It is his day. And I want to draw that image out of God resting after creation. We're going we're gonna to focus a lot of that today. Um, but just for completeness sake, I think it's really important to discuss the other, um, I would say, reasons or explanations that Scripture gives about why to take the Sabbath or keep the Sabbath. Um, so, and, and, and part of me, I want to do that because in all the other explanations, um, the description of God resting after work is, one of the, is the only description that talks about the goodness of work. So in Deuteronomy, the, the scripture states that we are to rest 
because there was a time that Israel's ancestors were slaves, and we are to offer uh, our animals, ourselves, the land, respite uh, in a way that they were not offered as slaves. Okay? So we are to take the Sabbath because you are no longer slaves. There was a time you were slaves. You are no longer slaves. And now you don't have to live that way anymore. That is one explanation that God gives for taking the Sabbath. Another one in Ezekiel states that we are to rest on the Sabbath knowing that through God's work, uh, that is how we are sanctified, not by our own work. In other words, uh, we rest knowing that God has done the work that needed to be done, and it is not our furiously, uh, if, you, if you will, uh, treading water that is keeping us right with God. We can actually take a day of rest. This is why I think this is really, this is where I think it's really interesting. In Exodus, the, the people of Israel have just been rescued from the hand of the Egyptians. And what image do you think God uses for why they should take the Sabbath in, 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 in the giving of the law? It's not the one about slavery. We'll put it up here. Yeah. It's about creation. That to me is very surprising. It's very surprising. Why wouldn't you talk about slavery when you just got out of slavery? I think that God is, is, is pushing a larger image. He's trying to say that um, Exodus is about more than just being rescued. In fact, what God did when he brought the people out of Egypt is not just rescue them, but recreate them. In fact, if you look through uh, scriptures, you will find that the people of Israel really aren't the people of Israel until God rescues them from Egypt. That's really where they become the people of Israel in the story. Before that, they're just families, you know, a clan. Now they're people. God rescuing them, he created them as a people. Perhaps the first thing that God wanted them to wanted the people to know when they came out of slavery was not um, just to be thankful to Him for for rescuing them, but to to say in some small way, "You are a new creation." And through God's commandment to keep the Sabbath holy, we are being invited to rest with God uh, as one whom God has done great work for and one whom uh, we have worked well in partnership with God. So work, work is actually not a part of fallen humanity. Again, like I, I keep saying, we're, we're going to get to that. We're going to get to that. But work existed before the fall. Work is not a consequence of sin. You can say that to, to yourself as you're driving to work on Monday morning. Work has always been here. Work is not a part of the fall. Toil is a part of the fall. That idea that, that work was changed because of the fall of humanity. You can say that on your way back from, Mark, or from, from your home to your home. Yeah, work has always been, but toil, that is, that is my existence right now. 
Jesus describes his work as, um, as reflecting on what God has done. So in, the, in those moments where uh, Jesus is healing on the Sabbath and the Pharisees are getting very angry because he's healing on the Sabbath, uh, Jesus says, actually, I'm only doing the things I see my father doing. In other words, my father's really doing the healing, so if you have a problem with me healing on the Sabbath, you're going to have to take it up with him, right? And that also leads us to just something to think about. The things that we see Jesus, the things that we see the Father doing on the Sabbath, those are, those are things to, to mark in our heads. Those are, those are Sabbath activities. Um, I'm in a class right now uh, in seminary about the atonement, which gets its own class all, all to itself, just atonement. Because uh, it's a kind of a big, it's kind of a big deal, uh, as they say. <laughs> uh, atonement is a made-up word because we didn't have a word for it. Um, but essentially, it means it's talking about the work that Christ has done through His life, death, and resurrection on the cross, or life, death, and resurrection, that has made us uh, reconciled to God. And luckily, that, that's the easiest part of the class. Is like everybody agrees on that. There's a lot of disagreement about exactly how that happens and what that means and things like that. But, but part of my thinking on the Sabbath was really enriched uh, this week as I've been discussing the work of Christ, the work of Christ, the work of Christ. Um, I realized Jesus is killed on a Friday— or Friday day, goes and is buried, actually still on Friday, stays in the ground, so to speak, on Saturday, and is resurrected on Sunday. Why? I ask myself. Why? Was it sort of like, you know, it takes a while for God's divinity to, to um, overcome death, like it like was an actual struggle of some sort? I don't think so. Was it so that people would know he was really dead. I think that is actually an anachronism. Sometimes people say, like, well, you know, people in ancient times, they didn't really know when people were dead, so it's probably a good idea that Jesus stays down for that long. That only makes sense if throughout history it has been a big problem that people have been, you know, put into the ground and they just keep coming out, you know? Like, like it sets up an expectation that that, you know, when people die, they just, they just come right back. No, actually, because of history, people were quite sure that Jesus was dead. They were not concerned about that problem. It's actually more in our day where the medical technology has increased to, some, to such a level that, that where an ancient person might say this, this person is dead, we can say, actually, I think they're still alive, and, and they might even come back. Um, so, so the problem of was Jesus really dead is not something that ancient people were concerned about because they knew he was dead. So then why does he wait? Why stay in the ground on Saturday? And actually, while there is some disagreement, there's a, there is a very interesting interpretation that says that perhaps what Jesus is doing is resting after work. 
Is that not what he sees the Father doing? Is that not what Jesus says that he does? I don't do what I, what I want to do. I do only what I see the Father doing. There is something about the work of Christ that it was right and fitting even to rest. I started taking Sabbath seriously in college. Part of that was self-preservation because I was falling apart, and that's the truth. Um, I'm a very introverted person. I, pe- I say that and people get very, you know, they, they well, well, you talk in front of people. I do. Introverts love studying. And we have to tell, we, you know, we have to tell what happens after we study because it's very exciting. Uh, and that's what I'm doing here as I'm telling you what I, what I discovered. But really, introverts just like studying <laughs> in that sense. Uh, so I am actually very introverted. And I served in ministry um, for a long time on college campuses. And uh, that was just wearing me down. I was always interacting with people. I was always knocking on doors, inviting people to Bible studies. And I was not doing very well. Uh, and then I, I read something, or maybe someone told me. I don't remember the exact uh, moment, but the, and an idea came to me, and that is that God offers me a Sabbath, too, a rest. Um, so I started doing that, and actually it really... It really became an important part of me being able to continue in ministry. Um, and it took planning, too. I'm not going to lie. It took planning uh, because I had, to, I had to plan out my work so I could get done in, in um, six days what with you know procrastination and all that would probably take me seven and a half days if I, if I wasn't planning it. Um, and I was always making it. I was making it. Every time that, that looming deadline would come, I would, I would get my work done. I would turn it in, submit it on time. That's a, another thing about with computer science, um, that major is really focused on perfection. Uh, and basically, you work and work and work and work until it's perfect, and then you turn it in. And if it's not perfect, um, it's not good. Um, I turned in a project once that, that didn't do one thing that it was supposed to do, and I got a zero because the, the professor said it's wrong, so you get a zero. I turned in two other, there's two other assignments in that course, 100%, 100%, zero. Guess what? I'm failing the course. So I talked to the professor. I said, did you realize that, that, you know, if we get one thing wrong, we fail this course? He said, all right, I'll give you 50%, but it's more than you deserve, Right? That's what I mean when, I, when, I, when I'm talking about, like, you, you work and work and work until it's perfect, and if it's not perfect, you fail. That's, that's computer science. So I was doing that once, turning in my assignments, uh, and, I, and I, I, the, for the very first time, I was pretty sure that I wouldn't make it. Um, the professor had given a kind of a confusing project, and so it took me a really long time to even to figure out what he was asking for, uh, and, I, and after I, I got close to it, I got close to it, it wasn't right, and I realized it's about time for me to take a Sabbath. Am I really going to take a Sabbath when I haven't turned in this assignment? In other words, am I really going to do this and it's going to cost me my grade or my good grades? And after a long battle with myself, I decided I would, yeah, because I, I think this is the pattern that God has invited me into for my good. Um, 
grades are not what defines me, but my uh, relationship with Christ defines me. And so I did take the Sabbath on that day, and I turned it in on Monday, late. And a very interesting thing happened to me on, on Monday. The professor said, I wanted to apologize, everyone. I gave you an assignment that was not clearly defined. And uh, because of that, because that's my mistake, uh, I just want to say that anyone who turns in their, their project today, it will be on time, even though it was supposed to be Friday. So I think that's very interesting, because we are always concerned that we, we, we don't have time. We don't have time to do things like this. But I have found in my own life that as I've, I have prioritized um, God's ways of doing things, he helps me do the work that is set before me. I think of it in like, like Jesus. Uh, there could be a whole sermon series. In fact, I think we did a whole sermon series on just people interrupting Jesus. You know, Jesus has a lot to, of work to do. Um, not just on his everyday life, but, you know, atonement and all that kind of stuff. But you could look at all the times where Jesus is being interrupted. He's, it'll say something like he was trying to go this way, and then someone, you know, came and talked to him. And you never, ever see Jesus go, guys, I'm sorry, I really have to get over there. I mean, that's kind of the plan. We're doing that. Um, he always stops as if, like, he has all the time in the world to talk to homeless people, to talk to, to people that no one will talk to, even though he's got a lot of work to do. He's unhurried because I think Jesus knows there is time enough for me to do the works that God has laid out this week, this day. I think it's interesting because one of the reasons why we, uh, we give uh, gifts back to God is so that we know that money is not our master, but Jesus is our Lord. So we actually, the, the practice of giving is actually telling us that. It's, it's helping us learn that. And so I think that the practice of Sabbathing is telling us things like um, we are not slaves to the, the day. We are not slaves to time and to schedule and all those things. No, in fact, Jesus is Lord over our schedule and over our life. We also see in the law, a command to stop toilsome work. The word Sabbath basically means to cease, to stop. Um, and, and I know that uh, toilsome work in an agrarian world looks a lot different than toilsome work in our world, but I think that we can still learn something about, about what it is that we are not doing. In my own life, I avoid to-do list items on my Sabbath. The to-do list, generally speaking, things that I have been putting off for too long and I don't really want to be doing, those are often toilsome work for me. Um, I do not fix electronics on my Sabbath because it is a slippery slope. Uh, <laughs> slippery slope, since that's what I do for a living. Um, it, 
it sometimes it even starts out like this is no this is just for fun for me this is just for fun and then it starts getting into work mine work mine work mine and i think that i've 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 fallen somewhere however i do sometimes like to do projects uh, that uh, that are that are uh, like an uh, invitation for something joyous and beautiful with the so so all that to say is there is a fine line and I don't know if I can tell you exactly where it is um, but uh, from from a scriptural standpoint we are being asked to stop toilsome work for the Sabbath um, before we had children. Um, because a lot of things changed after that. Um, I would do, uh, my Sabbaths looked a lot different. I'm a very introverted person, as I said. Uh, and uh, I would often go for a walk for an hour or two. And the whole goal of this walk is to not say anything at all. And it was glorious. And if that sounds terrible or like a little bit like hell to you, then you're probably not an introvert. That's a good test. Sounds glorious to me. And I would come back after that, and I would just feel almost like glowing uh, and ready to talk again. It was so great. As a father, I've had to rethink how we take Sabbaths. Um, We now do something we call family Sabbaths, because if one of us were to go off and do those things that uh, are gloriously rejuvenating uh, to us, then someone is left... uh, fighting the good fight all by themselves, and that seems not very a good idea uh, for family and life and marriage. So uh, what we do for family Sabbaths is we, we plan two activities for the whole day. The activity, one activity is either outside or energetic. Sometimes I take Micah to the park. We just run around. Actually, I, that's what I do is I just run around. He'll do that. Run around in a circle. That's fine for me. Uh, <laughs> And the other activity uh, we'll do is something mellow or inside. In fact, we have a picture up here. This is, this is one of our family Sabbaths that we took. Uh, we made, um, what's it called, uh, apple cider together. And I, let, I let Micah do a lot of the stirring, things like that. But it was a, it was a mellow thing that we were doing. Um, as a... As a family, we keep Sabbaths as free as humanly possible from the tyranny of schedules. Uh, we have the rest of the time, we have a mellow, restful day together. Because the Sabbath is all about connecting. Connecting with God, connecting with each other, um, being rejuvenated for ministry and for work. I want you to think about that for a little bit because oftentimes people say, well, what should we do or what should we not do? Uh, and they want me to give them an exact thing. And I don't think I can do that for you, but I can, I can tell you this. There are two things that I think Sabbaths should do. One, they should connect us to God and each other. And two, they should be things that are restful um, and maybe even reflective. Um, and if, you, if you're here thinking about activities or things you might do or not do on the Sabbath, and you go, hmm, not very connecting to God and other people, uh, maybe that's not a good one to do. One of my great failures, which was very, very helpful in terms of taking a Sabbath, is one day I decided, you know what I think would be very restful right now? 
a TV marathon. And so I did. I sat down and I watched for several, several hours. This is before I was married. Don't worry. I did not leave my wife all by myself. <laughs> uh, and after I had finished watching my TV marathon, I asked myself the question, do I feel closer to God and other people? The answer, no. Do I feel even rested? Actually, I was exhausted. Uh, and so I decided that's not a Sabbath activity that I'm going to continue uh, doing. So I, I think you're free. You're free to experiment th- things like that in the Sabbath. Find out what would be a Sabbath for you. Uh, we are free to take a Sabbath. We are not slaves to Sabbath. We are free to take a Sabbath, but we are not slaves to the Sabbath. After all, the Sabbath is for our good. And I realize that preaching on the Sabbath can sound kind of scary. Like I'm, I, like I'm trying to teach you uh, a restrictive thing. But the Sabbath is about freedom. And we are free to relate to God and each other. We are free to rest. We set aside toil and connect with each other and God. We reflect on the beauty of the work done and the work that God has done. And we rest in the truth that we are being sanctified by God, even when we're just sitting on the couch talking to one another. Keeping the Sabbath has been one of the most helpful spiritual practices in my walk with God. I can guarantee you that if I had not been taking the Sabbath, I would not be uh, doing very well. Uh, but I'm, I'm, I would be concerned if I would be doing ministry at all because I would be so exhausted. And I encourage you to experiment with keeping the Sabbath. Start by selecting a day. It doesn't have to be Sunday. It doesn't have to be Saturday. For a long time, my Sabbaths were Wednesdays because that's how, that's how I could align my schedules very well. But I encourage you to think about the rest that God has in store for us, that it is a gift and a joy for all of God's creation. Uh, and if, if you need some more help, if you're feeling like, I would really like to try this out, but I'm still confused, I apologize that I'm as, as confusing as my professor or my professors. Um, but I want, want to say, like, talk to people. And, and even talk to me if you want to work some things out. Uh, Sabbath is just too good a gift to miss out on. Um, it, is, it is right for us to rest after work. It is right for God to rest after his work. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you that you have given us the gift of the freedom to rest. And we are not saved by our own works. We are not holding the world together. That's your job. God, we pray that you would show us how to live in your invitation to rest. And that it would rejuvenate us as a community to continue to do your work with strength and power. In Jesus' name, amen.